Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, City Walk Church. Good evening if you're watching online tonight at 6 o'clock. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, Today's a special day that we get uh, to honor the ladies that put up with so much of us. And uh, we all have stories, and, and the moms are like, yes, yes, we did, and we do put up with a lot. Uh, I know, and Cherise mentioned this, I know today uh, is sometimes a tough day, too. Uh, while we celebrate moms, and, and it is a, a great day to do that, I know for some of you, uh, it took a lot of courage to come to church today, uh, because today might be the hardest day for you to come to church, because Maybe you've been trying to be a mom and and it just hasn't happened yet, or you've lost a mom recently or a child. And and so we we just want to honor you as well. And we hope today, even in the midst of maybe what's a tough day, would just be an encouragement to you and uh, just hope that we can be that for you. And we want to just let you know we're very sensitive to that and uh, just want you to know we love you. Uh, My mom, uh, she lives in Alabama. And uh, my mom, her name's Cheryl, and she's, uh, the, I'm the oldest of her three boys. And my mom, like a lot of you moms, was super, super passionate about her boys and super, super passionate about uh, her boys making good decisions, her boys following Jesus. And so I had one of those moms that she was not, uh, she really didn't care what a lot of people thought. And so we have a lot of stories that we tell when we all get together that we laugh about now, but we're deeply embarrassing uh, at moments in our life. My mom was the type of mom that when uh, we would be at church, she sang in the choir. I always remember from the very beginning that my mom was always singing in the choir. She was always involved in music, but, but she would, when she would be in the choir and she would be watching her boys, she had no issue if her boys were cutting up. And, and our, the platform was a little higher at our church, and the lights weren't as bright, so she could see, and she had mom eyes, so she could see better than, you know, normal people, and so she could see into the, the where I was sitting, and she would have, she had no problem, like, coming down out of the choir, down to where I was sitting, and I, in my, in my family, my dad, and, and our family, like, Richard and Lena, right where you guys are sitting, that was like our row in church. And so I would usually sit over here with my buddies, and uh, when things would not go well or I was having too much fun in church, and if I didn't get up in the middle of church and go sit, didn't matter if the pastor was preaching, didn't matter, she would come down out of the, yeah, it was like, really? Now you understand why I am the way I am, a little scarred uh, because of that. But, but I love my mom, and today, just like some of you will, you're going to call your mom. Maybe you're going to have lunch with her, or uh, you're going to maybe get, get connect somehow, maybe over FaceTime with her. Uh, and you're going to do that just like I am, because you want to show your mom that you love her and that you honor her. 
And honor in our society is something that we don't take lightly. It's, it's something that we give out to people, and when we are given honor, it's something we don't take lightly. Back in the ancient world, when most of the Old Testament, New Testament was written, honor played a much bigger deal in society, even than it does today. And for a guy, there was no greater honor. If you were kind of in the Old Testament and you grew up around that time period, one of the greatest honors of your life was to have a son. And you wanted to have a son because your son was the guy that was going to carry on your name. He was going to take over the family business. He was going to, you were going to hand everything off to him. And so for you, if you're a dad, when you were, if you were kind of in the Old Testament, the greatest honor you could have was a son. But if you were a mom, the greatest honor you could have is just a pile of kids, like they, man, they, the, today we kind of make fun of the people on TLC with like the 37 kids all in culottes, kind of weird families, but you know, they make TV shows out of them. But back then, man, you wanted to be on one of those shows. They were competing like, baby, I've had 32, you've had 33, I'm about to get my TLC show. I mean, they wanted to have big families and it was really a great honor to them to have just a house full of kids and a huge family. And this morning, we're going to look at one of those families in the Old Testament, and we're going to look specifically at a very special lady named Hannah. And Hannah's family is a family that, uh, man, had a lot of dysfunction, and it's, as we read through the story, you're going to be like, well, her husband, he was a peach, man. He had some issues himself, but, but there, this was a family that had a lot of different things going but in the midst of dysfunction, in the midst of jealousy, in the midst of rivalry, in the midst of depression and hurt, you see God use this lady named Hannah in a way that literally changes her nation for hundreds and hundreds of years. And the account we have of Hannah is written actually by her son named Samuel, and it's found in the very first chapter of 1 Samuel. And so if you have your Bible or you have the app, you can open that up. And what it does in the very first verse of 1 Samuel is it introduces Samuel's dad, Hannah's husband. Uh, his name was Elkanah, and it kind of introduces him. And then it invites you into the dysfunction in verse 2. It says this. It says, he had two wives, the first named Hannah and the second Panina. Did you just think of a sandwich when I said that? Like that's when I, when I read that, I think of a sandwich. Uh, Panina had children, but Hannah had none. She was childless. And so, like I said, this is like the making of a really good reality TV show. So you have Elkanah and he has two ladies, two wives. He's married Hannah. Probably that was his first wife. And probably that's the wife. He really, he really loved Hannah. It's the one he probably married first. But she, at this point, wasn't able to have children, and so he had to get another wife that was basically his childbearing wife, as awful as that sounds. And that's probably how this was kind of made up. He had his favorite that he really loved, but then he had the one that had kids for him. And so that's kind of the beginning of the story. And it says this in verse 3, it says, This man would go up from his town every year to worship. And to sacrifice to the Lord of armies at Shiloh, where Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, not the cartoon, 
were the Lord's priests. And so you had these, you had this happened every year. There were three feasts that guys would go to. Uh, you had these three feasts, and so they would kind of make their pilgrimage to go be a part of these. And so it was just part of life. And so that's what Elkanah was doing, and he would take his family, his, both his wives, with him. And so it says this in verse 4, whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he always gave a portion of the meat to his wife Penina and to each of her sons and daughters. But he gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved her even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Her rival would taunt her severely just to provoke her because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. It's like middle school playground all over again. You have this lady who's able to have kids, and so she's kind of, that's like her card she plays, but then Hannah has the card of, well, the, our husband loves me more, and in fact, he gives me double the food, he takes care of me, he's not even like, he's not even trying to hide this, like he just makes it clear, like this is my girl, and you're the person I make babies with. And, and so this, you can see how it's like, man, this is the making of a really good cat fight, a rivalry, and says this, year after year, when she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way. Hannah would weep and would not eat. So this was not like a one-time thing. This is like every year when they would go to these religious festivals, same thing would happen. And Hannah would get to a place where if she was living today, she would be diagnosed probably with depression. Like she couldn't eat. She was hurt and sad. And that's just the way her life was. Every single year, the same thing happened. Panina kept having more kids. She kept not being able to have kids. And so Panina would kind of rag on her and, and kind of poke at her. And she would just get more depressed, not eat. And in verse, verse 8, it says, Hannah, why are you, this is the husband, why are you crying, her, her husband Elkanah would ask. Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? I mean, Elkanah, he was not going to win like the humble husband award. He's like, baby, you got all this. Why do you need kids? You got me. He obviously, he, he needed to probably read a book or go to counseling or something like that. But, but you can see how this is not going to go well. And so Hannah, this lady, she literally lived in a place of insecurity. Like her whole life, she, she didn't wake up one day and it's like, oh, it's all better. Like just day after day, it was constantly in her face that she didn't have kids and Panina did. And so she lived from a place of insecurity. The, the one thing that would make everything okay, she didn't have and could do nothing about. We can probably relate with this a little bit. You, you and I can relate. I mean, she was, the, the one thing for her that would make everything okay, at least in her mind, was if she could just have a kid. But she could do nothing about it. Like, she was doing her part, and it just wasn't happening. And I think if, if we maybe lean into this a little bit, whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you maybe are investigating faith, we can all relate to this feeling. Because we all have things in our life that, that we say things like this, hey, if only I had this, or if only this happened, or if only I made this much money, or if only the relationship was fixed, everything would be better. I want you to think about this question. 
What don't you have that in your mind would make everything better? If you're watching online, I want you to think about that. If you're here this morning, what, like, in your mind, what would you, if you, if you had it, in your mind right now, you say, it would all be better. Maybe for you, it's, it's right where Hannah was. Maybe you, man, you desperately want to have a child. And, and it's like, man, if I could just have a child, it'll be better. Maybe for you, it is a relationship that's broken or, and there's, there's just some tension. And you're like, man, if that one thing was fixed, it would all go away. For you, maybe you have a, a number in your head. Hey, I make this much money. If I could only make this much money, it would all go away. It'd all be fixed. Probably all of us have at least one thing that if we really thought about it throughout our week, throughout our day, we think, man, if only, and you can fill in the blank, it would all be better. But, but here's what's true, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, and this is so important that we lean into this statement. When we place all the weight on results, we are pouring fuel on the fire of insecurity. When, when we place all the weight on what we don't control, which we're really good at doing that, we're basically taking fuel and just pouring it on the fire of insecurity in our hearts. I remember when we started City Walk, our, our very first Sunday, we had worked, I mean, a lot of us had worked up to three years, like this thing started three years before it really started. And I remember praying and working and raising funds and doing all the stuff and, and just pouring ourselves into it with a, a great team of people and, and wondering, is anyone going to show up on January 27th, 2019? Are we going to have an empty room or is anything gonna, anybody going to show up? And I remember, man, there was temptation to worry and feel anxious. Like we had done all the, the stuff we thought we were supposed to do. We had prayed. We're depending on God. But at the end of the day, were any cars going to pull in the parking lot? And there was such a temptation to worry about what we had no control over. And I don't know about you, but, man, I find that in my own life throughout my journey, I've had to really be careful about being anxious and worried about things I actually can't control. And that's right where Hannah found herself. The one thing that would make her okay, she had no control over, and it was the source of anxiety, and it was the source of worry. See, whether the root of your insecurity has anything to do with kids or not, we can all relate with allowing results to drive our attitudes, our anxiousness. We can all relate with that. But here's a question I want you to think about. And this is a question that Hannah dealt with, and we're going to see. What if your place of insecurity was actually the stage for God's greatest work in your life. Like, what if the thing that you say, man, if this was fixed or if this would go away, it would all be better. What if God's saying, no, 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 no. I actually want to use the place of your insecurity to do my greatest work in your life. What if it was that for you? See, amid her greatest insecurity, Hannah learned a lesson that would change the history literally of her nation. And here's the lesson she learned. Results are from God and for God. Results are from God 
and for God. For Hannah, it played out like this. Children are from God and for God because that was the result. That was the thing for her. Follow along with me as we continue on in the story. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 9, it says this. On one occasion, Hannah got up after they ate and drank. Remember, she's depressed. She can barely eat. It says she got up and, and after they drank at Shiloh. And it says the priest, Eli, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. She made a vow. She pleaded, Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction... Remember and not forget me and give your servant a son. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and his hair will never be cut. Hannah, in, the, in, in her depression and in her not, uh, ability to not even be able to eat, she just, and I don't know what, what was like the, the catalyst to do this, but at just one point she just gets up, gets up from the table and she just goes to where the, the priest is and she just starts to pour herself out to God. And she makes a vow. And if you were to read through the Bible, you'd see that no other woman in the Bible made a vow to God. But she makes a vow. In her desperation, she says, Lord, if you will just give me a son, I just give me a son. I promise you, I will give him back to you if you'll just give me a son. And it says this, while she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli, the priest, watched her mouth. So usually people, when they prayed, they prayed out loud. So your girl here, she's just like, bah, 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 bah. just not, nothing's coming out, but her mouth's moving a lot. So Eli's like, what's going on with this girl over here? It says, Hannah was praying silently, though her lips were moving. Her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your mind. It's wine, sister. Put the mimosas down. Come on. What are you doing? And, and she's, she's down there. She's just praying and she's crying out to God. She probably doesn't even realize that she's not saying anything out loud. And Eli's just seeing her like, dude, what's this girl? She's all drunk and she's up in the, you know, what is this? Stop, stop doing this. And then she says this in, in verse 15, it says, she's kind of ex, gives an explanation. No, my Lord, Hannah replied, I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine. I ain't even had a beer yet. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. Basically, my heart is broken and I'm just pouring out my soul to God. And it says this in verse 17. Eli responded, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant the request you've made of him. May your servant find favor with you, she replied. Then Hannah went on her way. She ate and no longer looked despondent. So you see this, she, she kind of gives the explanation like, dude, I'm, I promise I haven't had anything to drink. I'm just broken. I'm just pouring myself out to God. I'm desperate. And Eli's like, okay, well, well may you find favor. You're, what you're praying for, God's going God's gonna to do this. And here's, I love this next little bit here because it says that she ate and no longer looked despondent. See, nothing in her circumstances had changed at that moment, but everything had changed on the inside for her. She had left her burden 
there. She had given her care to God. She had given the results. And Lord, this is up to you. And the weight was off her. I love what 1 Peter 5 says. It says, casting all your cares on him. Because he cares about you when you keep all the rules. No. Casting all. Not, not some and not the big ones, but not the small ones. Not the ones that, that don't seem big to other people, but a rock in your world. He said, no, no, no. Casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. And that's exactly what Hannah did. This verse hadn't even been written when she was doing that. But that's what she did. She cast all her cares on God. God, I can't control this. This is in your hands. She got up and left it. And her countenance was different. It says this in verse 19. The next morning, Elkanah and Hannah got up early to worship before the Lord. Afterward, they returned home to Ramah. Then Elkanah was intimate with his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So, you guys can read between the lines on that, and it, was, it worked out. It says this, after some time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because she said, I requested him from the Lord. Amidst anguish, amidst insecurity, even depression, this lady cried out to the Lord, and God answered her prayer and gave her a son that she named Samuel. And I can only imagine that every morning when she picked up Samuel, that she was reminded of God's graciousness. She was reminded of the gift her son was. She was reminded that, man, results are from God. This is God. He did this. See, Psalms 127, it says this. It says, children are a gift from the Lord. Unfortunately, sometimes people think they're an inconvenience. And they will cause inconvenience, but they aren't an inconvenience. I think we would all agree. Uh, but, but Hannah, as she, I mean, I think about this. And some of you moms, you, can, you understand this. Because for some of you, you prayed for a kid for a long time. And you finally had that kid. Or some of you, you're praying now. And, and when that day comes, man, you're, you're not going to look at that kid and take it lightly. It's such a gift. It's such a stewardship. And for Hannah, what was interesting is she, she looked at this little guy and, and she knew that, man, this guy is a gift to us. This guy's a gift. We, we, were, we were given this by God and now we get a chance to give him back. He's a gift. And in our society today, I'm so thankful. One of my favorite parts of the service, and it's not because they're leaving, it's because I hear them. I don't know about you, but when all those kids get up and leave, I just love to hear them. I love to hear so many little kids, and I love when I get to walk over to the other building and just see that the things that are happening, the kids are being invested in, and, and kids are such a gift. I mean, if you're a, if you're a parent, you, you know that your kids help you understand God better, and they help you depend on Jesus more. If you're a grandparent, you have an outlet to spend all the money you didn't have when you had kids, but now you can when you're a grandparent. And, and even for our gathering, man, our kids are such a gift to us. They, they press us to believe bigger. They press us to take bigger risks because they really believe God can do anything. Even when we say we do, but we don't. Kids do. And Hannah understood 
as we do, that results are from God, they're a gift, and she, but she also understood this. Not only are results from God, but results are for God. We don't, we don't, God doesn't give us these results. He doesn't give us you know, these things in our life for us to just say, thanks God, I'll take care of it from here. No, he gives them to us so that we can give them back to him, so they're for him. It says this in verse 24, as you continue on in the story, it says, when she had weaned him, she took him with her to Shiloh, as well as a three-year-old bull, half a bushel of flour, and a clay jar of wine. Though the boy was still young, she took him to the Lord's house at Shiloh. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. Please, my Lord, she said, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. Hannah comes to the priest, Eli, remember me? Girl you thought was drunk, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember you. This is the prayer request. Probably about five years old, little Samuel. And she says, this is, this is the guy. This is what we prayed for. And, and, and Hannah knew that God had given her a gift but not only did she give her a gift, but she understood that her child and children in general are stewardship. And so Hannah, she, she weaned Samuel, basically prepared him to leave her. From the very beginning, she prepared him to leave. And, and if you're a parent, you know this. Man, you look at your kids and, and you have about you know, 18, 19 years. You're like, for some of you, are like, no, I got, I've had about 28 years. My kid's still living in a basement playing video games. But, but most of us, like, we got, we got 18, 19 years. And, and so we, in our mind as parents, we kind of think that through. Like, I've got this much time to invest in my kid. For Hannah, she looked at her boy and she said, you know what? I got about five years. I got about five years to invest in my son, to prepare him, to then give him back to God. And that's exactly what she did. See, she gave him back. The day came. And I, I don't know what was in her heart. I mean, I, I'm going to guess she was probably sad too. There was like a bittersweet. Like the day came when she's now five, he's five years old. And it's like, it's time to go. We got to keep our promise. And she took little Samuel. And I don't know what she talked to him about to kind of prepare him. But buddy, this is it. This is the day. And she took Samuel. The day came, she took him before Eli the priest. And this is what it says in verse 27, and she, as Hannah's talking. I prayed for this boy, and since the Lord gave me what I asked him for, I now give the boy to the Lord. For as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. Then he worshipped the Lord there. I don't even know what, I would have probably been a train wreck. But, but she's handing off her little boy. This is it, buddy. This is it. You, you're here for a purpose. God made you for a purpose. And, and you're going to stay with Mr. Eli. And you're going to serve God. And she handed him off. And then it says, they, man, they had a little church. They worshipped. In that moment, they worshipped. Mom and dad, what if we own the fact that our children are from God, but they're also for God? Obviously, preparing our kids for school and preparing them for scholarships and business and success. Man, that's, that's things we're all doing. But, but what would change in our life if our greatest concern was that our children walk with Jesus 
And when they stand before God here, well done, good and faithful servant. What if that was the top of the list? And, and I know for many of you it is. It's like, man, we, we hope you get a scholarship. We hope you do good in school. But at the end of the day, when you stand before God, the most important thing we want for you is that you will hear good and faithful servant. That, that you will hear well done, good and faithful servant. I remember sitting down in Florida with a guy. And I've told some of you guys about this. Uh, he was one of the elders at our church uh, in Florida. His name was Al. And I remember sitting down with Al, and, and he said something that I'll never forget. He, he had two or three daughters, and he actually joined our church in Florida because he thought our church would be a church his kids might come to. And what was cool is they all started coming, and they're all heavily involved but, but he said this, he said, Chris, I have one thing on my bucket list. I'm like, okay, this is a successful guy. He's in probably in early 60s. Man, he's got everything going for him. He says, I have one thing. I, I have only one thing. It's always been my one thing on my bucket list. He said this, the only thing I have on my bucket list is that my kids will follow Jesus. That's it. I don't care about anything else. And, and, and I watched him live that out because he understood the stewardship he had. And, and for us as parents, and man, I'm, we're walking with you. We have three kids. Man, we, we, we can't control what our kids do, but man, we can cry out in desperation before God continually. Knowing that, man, God, we know you can change hearts. You can change our children. I know we do that. And that's what Hannah did. Hannah understood the gift and the stewardship she had. And what's cool, if you read through the rest of the Old Testament, you'll see that this little boy that was five, he, he grew up and he marked the nation of Israel for its history. And for the time of his life, he became the spiritual conscience of the entire nation. He was the guy that anointed David king. And in the line of David, Jesus was born. And so Samuel had such an impact on, on this this nation of Israel, but literally all over the world, and he's impacting us today. And it started because a mom said, Lord, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back. I'll give him back to you. I don't know what you're going to do with him. She, she can't, she didn't have the whole Testament. She doesn't know what happened to her son, but I'll give him back. And his, her son has marked the world. And so let's go back to that question we started with. Maybe for you it's, a, it's about kids, but maybe it's something else. What is the place of your greatest insecurity? What's that thing that you say, hey, man, if this was gone, if this was fixed, if this one thing changed, everything would be okay. What is it for you that's that, that, that greatest area of insecurity? Maybe it is children. Maybe it is parenting. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something financial. Maybe it's something about your future. Maybe it's what other people think. And for you, that's your greatest area of insecurity. What is it for you? What is it that you would say this to? It's, it's the, if only blank happens, I will be at peace. It's the, hey, the thing that fills in the blank for you. What is it? And how would life be different if, like Hannah, we embrace the fact that results are from God and for God? Because results are what keep us up at night. If we're honest, it's, it's what is the source of our insecurity. It's the source of our anxiety. It's, it's usually the results that we have no control over. All the while, it's part 
It's the part we can't control. And, and honestly, we're not even held accountable to God for results. But it's the thing that gives us the greatest insecurity in our life. And, and it, maybe it is our kids. Maybe it's something else. See, we were not meant to produce results. We were meant to be faithful in the process. You need to, some of us need to maybe write this down and, and read this every morning. Because we, we wake up and we struggle with anxiety, we struggle with worry, and it's, it's, we're struggling because of results that we can't control. And God's saying, you're not held accountable for that. You're not held accountable for if your kids follow me. You're not held accountable for how many people show up to this. You're not held accountable for all these things. You are held accountable for being faithful in the process. In fact, if you're an athlete, you'll hear even some, uh, some coaches that'll say, trust the process. Trust the process. The results take care of itself, but trust the process. And so what does faithfulness look like? Let me give you three things before we close. Because you're like, okay, that's, that's easy to say. And okay, I'm not going to focus on the results. I'm just going to be faithful. But what does faithfulness look like? Like if I was to say this week, I'm going to, instead of focusing so much on the results and, and I can't change their heart and the business and the money and it, it, I can't fix all that. What if I stopped focusing on the results and worrying about that? And I just said, God, this week I'm going to be faithful with what you've given me. What does faithfulness look like? A few things. It looks like, number one, pray. It looks like praying from a place of dependence. What does that mean? It looks like saying, God, I can't fix this. God, I have no control over how much comes in. God, and you fill in the blank. But God, I'm coming to you, and I'm desperate for you, and I depend on you, and I trust you. Praying. Second thing, it's working. It's doing the right thing the right way. It's, hey, God, I'm, I'm, I'm on my knees every morning, and I'm crying out to you. I depend on you for the results. But then I'm going to go, and I'm going to do the right thing the right way. Just going to be faithful. I'm going to do the right thing the right way. I remember as there was a season in our, our life, and you guys know this, I've talked to you about it. We, we were in ministry for a while, and we stepped out of ministry for a while, and I was in the business world, and we went through some counseling as a family and, and as a couple, and God used that time in our life. But during that time, I worked for Verizon, and I was a salesman for them. And I remember going into the store, and almost every single morning, and this sounds kind of weird probably, but I would go into the bathroom, I would lock the door, and I would just get on my knees and say, all right, God, I can't control who comes in the door. I can't control the things. I, I want to sell a lot. I'd love to make money for my family, but I can't control this. And I remember struggling with worry, like, we need to make this much money to do this or get through. And, but God, I can't control that. I'm going to be faithful with what you give me, but I'm asking you to do what I can't do. And it was just so cool to watch God continually. And it was, it was just an act of saying, God, and I'm on the, like the bathroom floor, probably dirty. They're just like, Lord, this is you. You, you do what you want to do today, and I'll try to be faithful. 
And for you, it looks different, but it, but it might literally look like you going to your work or you going to your school and locking the door, make sure you lock the door because people think you're really weird, uh, and just getting on your knees and saying, God, I depend on you today. This day's about you. Man, I want to be successful. Man, I want to provide. I want to see my kids change, but I can't do that, but I'm going to pray and I'm going to work. Then the last thing I'm going to do is I'm going to be grateful. I'm going to give thanks. I'm going to start and end my day. I'm going to think about what have you done? How have you come through? And I'm going to remember that. And I'm going to thank you for those things. See, we got to remember that the results are from God and for God. And so as we close, what is it for you? What's it for you if you're watching online? What's it for you that, man, if, if it changed, you think, man, everything would go away. It would all be fixed. You willing to name that? Just just call it out in your head like, this is what it is for me? And then are you willing to, over the next few days, say, you know what, I'm going to, I'll give you a week, God. Maybe I'm not even going to commit to do this forever. I'm going to give you a week. I'm going to pray. I'm going to depend on you in this area. Then I'm just going to do the right thing the right way. I'm just going to be faithful. And then I'm going to just commit to give thanks. Like it's, I'm going to give thanks to all, for all you've done. I'm just going to give thanks. Because at the end of the day, God, results are from you and results are for you. And I wasn't meant to live my life carrying on my shoulders what only you can do. So I'm not going to do it anymore. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for just a day that we have an opportunity to look at a lady like Hannah, who, man, she was a lady that dealt with depression. I'm sure she dealt with anxiety and for a lot of her early life really struggled. And Lord, in in a unique way, you brought her to a point where she depended on you and just cried out to you. And Lord, you came through in a, a way she would have never, ever been able to imagine or probably write. And God, I pray for each of us, whether we're watching online or whether we're here this morning, Lord, all of us, if we're honest, have things in our life that we think if they were fixed or if they changed, everything would be better. We could finally be happy. We'd finally have peace. But God, you never promised happiness in this life. You promised grace and peace and hope in the midst of what is sometimes tough. And Lord, I pray for each of us here as we have different areas of our life that we struggle in, different areas of our life that cause us to worry and have anxiety. Lord, I pray that right now we would just name that area in our mind, that we would call it out in our mind, that we would quit pretending it's not bothering us, and we would just name it. And Lord, that we would in this moment just give that over to you. Maybe it is our kids. Maybe it is our finances. Maybe it's something at work. Maybe it's something totally different. Lord, we want to give that to you, and we want to now just be faithful. And so we're going to pray. We're going to depend on you. We're going to work. We're going to do the right thing the right way, and then we're going to just be thankful. We're going to give thanks, and we're going to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.